are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Friday, October 2nd edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, and today we're going to try our best, we're going to try, keyword is try, to craft a game plan to beat Seattle this weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by NFL Game Pass. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. See all the action from every game with full game replays. You can also replay an entire game and catch all of the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. We also have a little Locked On crossover with Locked On Seahawks to check in with Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Talk about the opponent this week for the Miami Dolphins, Seattle Seahawks, traveling from Seattle to play in South Florida. But first, before we get anywhere, we're going to talk about this Thursday night game last night because uh, the Denver Broncos, if you missed it, they won on Thursday night football in New York. They beat the Jets by a final score of 37-28. to And I couldn't help but tie this back, as I do with all things, to the Miami Dolphins. One year after some Miami Dolphins fans advocated for the team to engage in a two-year rebuild process with the objective being acquiring Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, it seems as though Trevor Lawrence is indeed on a collision course with the AFC East. The Dolphins' division rival Jets played on Thursday night football, and they needed a 50-yard touchdown scamper from Sam Darnold and a defensive pick six to lose by nine points to the previously winless Denver Broncos. It was just the latest embarrassing loss for former Miami Dolphins head coach Adam Gase, who is surprisingly still employed this morning after some rumors throughout the week that a loss to Denver would be it and he would lose his second job in 18 months. But there's a larger lesson here, and it's it's that the multi-year tank was such a risk, and I'm glad the Dolphins didn't choose to go that route. And yes, if you could have told me that this, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow was going to be Trevor Lawrence, I'd be ecstatic. But not only do you have to be abysmally bad for 2019, like worse than the Dolphins were last year, But then you have to go an entire offseason and make absolutely zero progress and then be that bad again. Because as bad as the 2019 Dolphins were for the first seven games of the season before they, ironically enough, played the Jets, the Jets this year are probably just as bad. This team is a train wreck. They're a dumpster fire. And we knew that. Ahead of time. We did. We knew the Jets were going to be bad this year before they traded Jamal Adams. And before C.J. Mosley ends up opting out. And they lose their two best defensive players. And they let their best receiver walk in Robbie Anderson. The Jets just don't have a lot that's trending in the right direction for them. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets ultimately do finish this collision course with the AFC East and Trevor Lawrence. Because we're the, the Jets are a quarter of the way through their season. And it took a Sam Darnold 50-yard touchdown run and a pick six from Brett Rippon that I have no idea what he was looking at 
for the Jets to lose by nine. That's the kind of comedy of errors that the Jets are putting on display that like, we would have associated with the tanking Dolphins last year. And it makes for a really fascinating case. Maybe the Jets get the number one pick, and maybe they're committed and they're invested in Sam Darnold, in which if they are, good. I would much rather face Sam Darnold twice a year than Trevor Lawrence, without Trevor Lawrence ever having played a single snap in the NFL. But could you imagine being the Dolphins and passing on quarterback and, and everybody gets themselves up all summer for, all right, this, we're going to go get Trevor Lawrence, and the Jets are this bad? It would be the ultimate stress scenario. So, thankfully, the Dolphins did not adopt a Cleveland Browns 2017-2018 model to their rebuild. And they went one and done, and they made their quarterback investment, and now they're on the upswing. Whether or not they're a good football team this year, that's yet to be determined, but they have a chance and an opportunity to develop into a good football team. And then they're going to have a chance to reload and restock again this offseason with more draft picks. And hopefully by 2022, you have a very good football team in South Florida. That timeline looks totally different if the Dolphins are, are were to have chosen to angle for Trevor Lawrence. And based on how bad the Jets have been for their first four games, it might have to- thrown the entire thing in the dumpster. Because the Jets are just as bad as the 2019 Dolphins were through the first four games of the season. Point differential aside, the fact that Miami gave up 59 points or 56 points or whatever it was to the Baltimore Ravens in week one last year. The Jets are as equal of an atrocity to the football world as the 2019 Dolphins. And there's no end in sight because the coaching is not going to pull this team out like it pulled the Dolphins out. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Listeners of this show are well acclimated to the affinity that the Locked On Network has for Built Bar. But what about Built Go? Built Go is a brand new product. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, you can break through it with Go every day. It's easy to take in 1.5-ounce packages. It's something you can stuff in your back pocket. You can go in your lunchbox. People still have lunchboxes. I don't know if that's still a thing. But if it were... You could put Bilt Go, you could put a bunch of Bilt Goes in there. You could put it in your golf bag to power through the back nine. Bilt Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five hour energy without the same crash feeling, plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and even better results. And it comes in three delicious flavors peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, or chocolate mint, which is my personal favorite. Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets into the system fast. Plus, it's easy on the stomach. It's loaded with the good stuff to ignite work. Beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. And Built Go then kicks to keep you going strong with B6 and B12. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 30% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. 
Bet.com. Let's go. So what does a winning formula look like for the Dolphins this week? Um, I'm going to be completely, completely honest with you guys. I don't know. (laughs) The Dolphins are going to score some points in this game. That's the good news. But how the Dolphins shut down Russell Wilson with the caliber of play that he has put on display to this point in the season, I don't have a good answer for you. That was a, a, a bit of feedback that I got. Somebody left a review on the show, and they said, you know, Kyle feels like he knows the answers to everything. Well, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you right now and tell you that I have an answer for how the Dolphins are going to stop Russell Wilson. I don't know. The Dolphins are going to have to get lucky, and this was why I said what I said when Seattle won against Dallas in Week 3. Seattle being refocused by a loss to Dallas would have set the Dolphins up exponentially greater for for a big loss this week. Seattle comes into this game, cross-country trip, they're undefeated. If Seattle is going to be super dialed in, super, super focused, they're a better team. They have a better quarterback. They have better skill players. They're more explosive. What do the Dolphins have to their advantage right now? They're at home. They get a home field advantage from a climate perspective and from a time pers- body clock perspective. The Dolphins are also going to have the advantage of Seattle probably missing, and we'll talk about this with Corbin Smith just a little bit later in the show. Seattle is going to be missing probably several key starters. They're banged up on the offensive line. Damian Lewis sprained an ankle. Chris Carson sprained a knee. They're banged up defensively. Jamal Adams probably not going to play in this game. Jordan Brooks, the first-round linebacker, probably not going to play in this game. Bruce Servin, their weak-side linebacker, he's on IR. One of the Seahawks' best cornerbacks, Quentin Dunbar, missed last game against Dallas, not really expected to play this week. If all of these pieces are missing for Seattle, Miami and, and if we're going to get a win, like let's not be picky about getting wins, as far as I'm concerned. You know, when we're ready to take this team serious as like a Super Bowl contender, yeah, I can sit here and say, I want to beat the best at their best. I just want wins right now. I don't know about you guys. We're coming off three straight losing. I don't care how we get wins. You never want to see somebody be hurt. You never root for injuries, of course. But if you told me, hey, you could play Seattle with or without half their starting secondary, which would you rather play with? Right now, give me the option that includes lesser players on the field. That's an opportunity the Dolphins might have, and of course that goes both ways. Byron Jones, he did practice yesterday. He worked with a trainer who was very limited, but he said he felt good, and it did open the door for potentially Byron to dress. The Dolphins are going to need luck to win this football game because Russell Wilson is just lights out right now. But if I had to get into the X's and O's as far as how the Dolphins' offensive and defenses attack this week should be structured to position this team for success, when Miami has the ball, I think you got to attack the intermediate areas. This team is never really going to push the ball a ton down the field, but 15 to 20 yards downfield without Jamal Adams, without one of their three or their, their cover three guys in Quentin Dunbar? Yes. 
Dolphins' success passing the football to this point in the season has come when they have attacked soft spots in zone coverage. Buffalo and Jacksonville. They didn't have passing success against New England. Buffalo's a cover three team. Miami had a lot of success against zone coverage against Jacksonville. Seattle is famous for what? Legion of Boom, but the cover cover three. They like these big, long, physical corners. They play cover three zone. Cam Chancellor back in the day prowling down in the box. It's going to be Jabal Adams now. But probably, probably not week four against the Dolphins. So exploit intermediate areas in zone coverage when you have the football. The other thing that Dolphins have to, to do, we've talked about some of the struggles of the run game to this point in the season. You can't get one-dimensional, though. There's nothing I hate worse than run, run, pass, punt. It's exhausting. So the Dolphins have to find and probe the Seattle front to find where can we get push so that when we run the ball on second and 10 after an incomplete pass, we're not in third and nine. And we can get to third and five. We can get to third and four. If we need a tough yard, what gap are we going to hit? Just don't get super one-dimensional. So the Dolphins, they kind of got to walk that tightrope of we want to be balanced on offense, but we don't want to put ourselves behind the chains too much, and we got to be realistic about the successes of our offense. If it were me, I'd probably look to probe off-tackle. I'm probably not running a ton downhill directly at Bobby Wagner with all the dense bodies that this off this defense has to play on the front. And that in itself is a challenge because you think about some of the struggles that the Dolphins have had in the screen game and in the running game. They don't have great range. So we're going to have to see a big game from either Adam Shaheen, Durham Smythe, whoever that tight end is that's going to be off the line of scrimmage and he's going to insert block or he's going to kick guys out and they can go with 22 personnel, which they've played a, a moderate amount and they'll go pistol backfield with Chandler Cox offset to one side of the pistol. And they get the tight end that they're going to move around and Gasecki's flexed to, to try to get heavy sets. And let's get Eric Flowers on the pull. Smythe inserts behind him. Chandler Cox, lead blocker. If I'm going to try and do run game, and then you got to come out of that and you got to do play action pass and you got to throw like Spider 2 Y Banana and hit the fullback in the flat once or twice or leak the tight end across the set, throw it in the flat. Just keep them honest. Just enough to keep them honest. Obviously, Spider 2 Y Banana is John Gruden play call, not Chan Gailey play call. And the last thing the Dolphins have to do offensively is they have to identify where the backups are and they need to attack those football players. Is Jamal Adams, Quentin Dunbar, Jordan Brooks, are they playing in this game? If they are not, attack their replacements and force them to be the ones who beat you. And if they do, well, then we just got to tip our cap. We got to move on. Seattle's a red hot team, whatever. But if they don't beat you and you can beat their backups, then we need then we are at that point playing as a smart football team, exploiting the weaknesses of the team on the other side of the fence. 
RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're looking for engine control modules or new brake parts or taillights, motor oil for your classic or daily driver, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog. And in just a few clicks, you can get everything you need delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are the same for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you go anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all of your auto parts needs and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com uh, I saved the hard part for last. Hold on. I gotta take a sip here. I'm getting flushed just thinking about it. How do you stop Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett? You, you don't. Is The easy answer is you don't. You try to contain them, though. So what are the Dolphins' best opportunities to try to contain and limit the big plays from the Seattle Seahawks' Offensive attack. One thing I think they need to build upon is the the stunt game that they played last week. Uh, I'd like to see more tackle. They they had success with the, the linebacker tackle stunts. And I'd love to see him come back to that because it worked well for him last week. And as these players continue to get a better feel for where they're going to be, um, their teammates are going to be, I think that's an opportunity that the Dolphins could maybe strike on. I think the Dolphins' best cornerback, whoever it is, that's available for the game, whether it's Xavier or Byron, they're going to have to play on DK. I think Igbo is probably the matchup, the athlete matchup guy that can try to mirror Tyler Lockett. Obviously, we saw how that went with uh, Stephon Diggs. So I think you got you to gotta shade a little bit of help, and it's kind of the same concept, right, as what we talked about with the Seattle backups on defense. Force their secondary players on offense to be the ones to beat you. And if they do, more power to them. If if Seahawks wide receiver four goes off for 100 yards and a touchdown against Miami, like how mad can we really be? That's just Russ being Russ. If David Moore or Freddie Swain blows up in this football game, but your best chance is to force the volume away from his preferred targets as much as you possibly can. So don't let DK get north. Don't let DK get over the top and get separation vertically. The good news is Miami does have two physical corners that can go toe-to-toe with him, and I do feel fairly comfortable in X's ability to play physical with him. Am I shading Bobby McCain over that way? Yes. That's going to put a big chore on Miami's secondary or Miami's front seven because I'm ideally probably playing too high against Seattle. You play one high, they're going to find that that seven route, that corner route to DK, and he's going to get you once or twice. So X or Byron physical early. Free safety shaded over top. So we're going too high, so why is that stress? Because now, and this is why Chris Carson's potential absence is key. 
Now you've got one less defender inserted into the box. And then I'm probably looking to give a little extra attention to Tyler Lockett, but here's the thing. You can't straight double-team two guys because now you got one-on-ones everywhere else, and now you're short gaps in the run game. So I think the answer here is the Dolphins have to try to stuff uh, B-gap through B-gap on the inside. I would challenge Ethan Pokich, the center. I put Devon Godchow and Raekwon Davis right in his face. I put Siler and Wilkins, who had good games against Jacksonville. I'm putting them in four-eye alignments, so they're inside shade on offensive tackles, controlling each respective B-gap. Van Ginkle gets some play. Uh, he's tackles, specifically right tackle. Brandon Shell, he's heavy-footed. Try and use Van Ginkle's uh, speed and agility. You put a rangy linebacker stacked behind him, whether it's probably Jerome Baker. And then to the strength side, I got Kyle Van Noy. And I got either Emmanuel Ogbar or Shaq Lawson. So you kind of play two-man game uh, with edge contain and run fits on either side of the line of scrimmage. And you got three guys inside. B-gap through B-gap stuffed. So that gives you seven in the box. You're going to have to persistently play seven in the box. Free safety shaded over DK. You can start to see the numbers game. So we got the box covered. We got the half that DK is on, half the field that DK is on covered. Nine guys accounted for. You're going to have two one-on-ones on the other side. Or that linebacker stacked to that side is going to have to shade inside and look for any in-breaking routes from Lockett and he's going to have to play two-man. He's going to have to, to do two things simultaneously. It's There's there's no easy answers here for accounting for, because we, we saw against Buffalo, the Dolphins are not yet at a luxury of just being able to play man across the board and lock him down. Can't bank on it yet. Now, fortunately, Seattle does not have the depth of receivers that Buffalo does. I think that's your best chance, your best opportunity to win this football game. Let's check in with Corbin Smith from Locked On Seahawks for a Locked On crossover to bring this show to a close. Corbin, I, I guess my first question for you is this. When I look at the schedule for Miami and I see Seattle is coming all the way across as far of a trip as you can make in this league unless you go to London, I got a little excited. I said, okay, here we go. Miami's going to host Seattle Pacific Northwest, steamy hot South Florida. Certainly there's got to be a travel advantage here. And then I see the splits and I see the statistics of how well Seattle plays on the East Coast when they come East. So my first question for you is what is it about the way that this team is constructed? Is it coaching? Is it the leadership of Russell Wilson? How has this team been able to kind of buck the trend of West Coast teams coming East and performing at such a high level? Bobby Wagner said the other day that it's all about the mindset and clearly whatever they're doing is working. They're not going to spill all the beans to us about what has made them successful, but they were undefeated last year on their East coast games this year. They won their first one in Atlanta. And so th they have consistently been really good in those games where typically West coast teams do not play well with those time changes. So I do think it's part Pete Carroll and it's part the leadership that they've got with players like Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. I think 
not mentioning KJ Wright would be a mistake too. He is one of their veteran leaders, has been for a long time. So I think they've got stable leadership in the player front. Pete Carroll and his staff know how to get players prepared and fired up to play in these games. And so I don't think there's any like major secret to it. I think that this the the guys that are in charge, they have found a formula that has consistently worked and they've kept with it. And it's all about that mindset. And so they're not going to be phased making this trip. It's still a very long road trip, but They've done this before, and I don't think they're going to be worried about that being a factor. So, Corbin, one of the other things for the Dolphins in the build-up to this game this weekend, we've been keeping an eye on the injury report for Byron Jones' status, and we learned he practiced on Thursday, which is the first practice he's taken since he injured his groin in week two. On the other side of that coin, how many extra pages did Seattle have to print for their injury report this week? <laughs> And I wanted to ask you what the expectation is for some of the more prominent names on this very long list. Of course, a lot of guys that are just dinged up and are probably going to play, but we saw Chris Carson at the end of the Dallas game go down with a tweaked knee, and, and Jamal Adams is another defensive back in this matchup that has a groin issue that he's experiencing. So some of the more prominent names for Seattle, should Miami be expecting to see these guys dress, or could they get a chance to catch a Seattle team that's a little bit hanged up and missing some big pieces. There will be some big pieces that are wearing street clothes on the sideline in this game. And I think Jamal Adams is going to be one of them. I will be stunned if he plays in this football game. He might be pushing Pete Carroll by the end of this week saying, I can go, I can go. But I have a feeling Carroll and the medical staff are going to be like, look, we got to keep you ready to go for the rest of the season. We can't afford for you to re-injure this or injure it worse. So I will be really surprised if Adams uh, plays in this football game. As for Chris Carson, I think there's a really good chance that Chris Carson dresses for this game, which is stunning when you consider that dirty play that he was injured on. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure he had ligament damage. And as a former running back, I just cringed in the press box seeing that. But uh, it looks like he's going to have a really good chance. Guard Damian Lewis, their really good rookie out of LSU. He just has a minor ankle sprain, and he practiced some yesterday. So those two guys have a chance. What I would worry about if I'm the Seahawks, you've got Adams and Quentin Dunbar is dealing with a knee issue, did not play last week, and he did not participate in practice yesterday. And so they're going to be really cautious with him the rest of this week with hopes that he's able to play. But that would mean Trey Flowers is going to be out there if you don't have Dunbar. And he really, really struggled last week against the Dallas Cowboys. And so that's the biggest concern is the injuries that they've got in the back half of their defense, which has already been struggling mightily. Corbin, you know, I'm a draft guy at heart. So I wanted to ask you about Jordan Brooks, another guy who I believe is banged up. And there's an expectation there that he's going to be the long-term heir to KJ Wright. Brooks was one of the surprise selections in the first round in this past year's draft. What has the impressions to this point been for Jordan Brooks? And has he kind of looked as though he's going to be able to live up to the expectations for what Seattle's vision is for him as a player? If you watched him in training camp, you can see what excites the Seahawks about this kid. He's extremely athletic. He's a sound tackler, does a good job with his run fits. I think he's better in coverage than advertised. He, has a, he had a pass deflected last week on the first drive. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, he's another player. I'll be really surprised if he suits up in Miami, but they've got a lot of depth at that linebacker position, so they can withstand him being out for a week or two. But I think with Bruce Irvin being done for the season now, once he gets back, 
the expectation is he is going to be the guy at weak side linebacker for the rest of the season. They moved KJ Wright over to strong side, and that's how excited they are about this kid and his ability to fly all over the field. Pete Carroll knew they needed to add speed to this defense. Bobby Wagner still runs really well, but KJ Wright, you can tell at this stage of his career, that is that was never necessarily a strong point for him anyway. He's lost a step or two, still a very, very good football player, but when you get him in coverage against a receiver, bad things are going to happen. They wanted somebody out there that was going to give him more speed. Brooks is certainly going to do that. I can honestly say, though, I haven't seen enough snaps of him yet in actual game action to be able to assess where he's at in his development. He only played 14 snaps last week. You've seen some signs that he's going to be a good player. Just haven't seen enough aside from training camp. I guess it's time to address the elephant in the room, and that's the Let the Ru- let Russ Cook campaign. Uh, one of the biggest travesties of the past eight years is that this man has never received an MVP vote, but it seems like he's well on his way to doing away with that travesty this year with the way he has come out and lit opposing defenses on fire. What, how, how significant of a shift from the Seahawks' perspective has it been to actually – let Russ cook versus some of their, I know they've, they've been criticized in the past for being ultra committed to continuing to establish the run. How different is the team philosophy this year? And more importantly, from a Miami fans perspective, how do you slow them down? Well, that last part at this juncture, I don't know, aside from hoping you get a downpour, I don't know how you slow this guy down. I mean, he, he'll beat zone coverage. He beats man coverage. You try to pressure him, he's going to get outside the pocket, and then he's going to burn you. He's going to step up in the pocket. Or you hit him, and he's still going to throw a 50-yard rainbow right into DK Metcalf's hands. I mean, he has just been unbelievable. The stat that jumped out to me, I actually wrote an article up about this yesterday. He's on pace for 75 passing touchdowns through three games. He is not going to maintain that pace, but – of his throws right now have been touchdowns. And that number should be higher because DK Metcalf had a touchdown punched out of his hands at the goal line last weekend. He should have had six passing touchdowns against the Cowboys. And so he has just been unbelievable. I don't know how you defend him in good weather. You're in trouble with the weapons he's got. And the other thing they've really improved that offensive line. And that was something I thought about this off season, the moves they made. Damian Lewis, I thought, was really underrated as a run blocker or as a pass protector at LSU. He was known for mauling people, but a really solid pass protector there that played really good competition in the SEC. And Ethan Posick now is their starting center where he should have been all along. He doesn't have Justin Britt in front of him anymore. He is a really sound pass protector there. And Brandon Shell has been a huge upgrade over Jermaine Effetti in pass protection. You're not getting the same penalty issues. He's been really sound over there. Has he given up some pressure? Absolutely. But he's been a big upgrade. And right now they've got the sixth best pass, uh, pass block win rate on ESPN, which I had to do a double take. Actually, I had to do a triple take too. Like, the Seahawks are sixth? What? What am I looking at? And so when Russell Wilson's getting that kind of protection with the weapons that he's got on the outside, uh, I, I just would say good luck to the other team. I don't know what you do. That is going to do it for us here on this Locked On crossover series. Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Seahawks, Kyle Krabs, Corbin Smith. We hope you guys enjoyed this check-in. We hope you enjoyed the game this weekend. And thanks, as always, for listening to the Locked On Network.